We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Father, this morning there is a a real sense in which any association with the pure, the blessed Christ and my life is a shame for him. All of us as sinners come to the blessedness, the purity, the magnificence, of the sinless Christ as the basis for our salvation. But our text this morning, though difficult, yields us opportunity, and today at the table of the Lord, to think about our walk in the Lord and in the power of his might, by means of thine indwelling spirit. And we pray that you would use again the text to stir the hearts of your people in righteous embrace of the fullness of their inheritance in Jesus Christ. And we pray for anyone that know not Christ, that today might be the day of their salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. We sing, Were you there when they crucified the Lord? Nope. I wasn't there. You weren't there. And yet the text speaks about a group of people living in such a way so as to be individually connected to the mockery and the shame of putting the blessed Savior to death. Our whole gospel is predicated upon the fact that we have as believers, brought our sins, in effect, to the cross and received at the cross his righteousness. And now we confront in the scripture the absolute insult to God that you and I would not live a life of honor to God thereafter. That's where this passage goes. 
When I first looked at the passage and the schedule of verses, one after another and verse by verse, and looked at the calendar, I thought, oh, no, it's communion. And then after I prayed about it, oh, boy, it's communion. (laughs) There's no better place to think seriously about Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, than right here at the table of the Lord. In the particular case before us, we read of an impossible renewal by repentance. And the mind just floods with the possible things that that could mean. And that's why last week, we kind of prepared for these verses in working in these verses with seven certainties around which we must focus if indeed we're going to walk through together the integrity of the text. Now this morning I want to add two quick observations and then make with you three applications before we exercise ourselves in obedience to the Lord at the Lord's table. Two observations. First, I call to your attention that there is a shift in pronouns in our English text. In verses 1 to 3, the writer says, we and us. And now in verses 4 to 6, the writer is saying, those and them. That shift in pronouns indicates the fact that the writer does not believe that the original Hebrew readers were fallen away as described in verse 6 and says that very thing upcoming at verse 9. Just look ahead to verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. The second observation that I would make with you this morning uh, has to do with, in this case of impossible renewal of repentance, that it is ultimately explained by a five-fold description of aorist verbs and participles that denote completed action, including the description of having fallen away. Every one of the participles uh, that are listed here, the five that are listed here grammatically, are all under the same umbrella. So the enlightened person is indeed uh, the person who has tasted, and the person who has tasted is the person who is a partaker, and uh, and that person is also the person, uh, by way of presentation, who has fallen away. That is significant grammatically to the understanding of the text. The descriptive words speak of salvation. Once enlightened is best understood by the theological word regeneration. And it is the very same word as used by the Apostle Paul in the description of conversion 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. The word tasted, as found twice in this description, first in reference to God's gift, and then in reference to God's word, is the same word previously used in Hebrews to describe Christ's tasting of death for every man. He didn't taste death just a little bit. He tasted death all the way to the cross as point of emphasis is made in a number of the epistles. Christ really and completely died. The tasting of death was a real death for Christ. The tasting of the word of God is a real taste of the word of God here in the text. The taste of God's gift is a real taste of the gift in this text. There is no grammatical reason to think that unsaved sinners can so taste a little as to get something without the fullness of the gift of God or the word of God as so stated in the text. And yet, as some would project, yet remain without uh, salvation. Listen, you can't be a little bit saved. You either are or you're not. And then there is the descriptive phrase of being partakers of the Holy Spirit. And that word has a particular history in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 3 and verse 1, the word partakers is used in relationship to our heavenly calling in Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 14, the word partakers is used in relationship to Christ directly. Partakers in Christ. And here are those that have partaken of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying that the word partakers is a strong word indicating real relationship with Jesus Christ. So I know that the, that the perverts, and I know that the, that, the, uh, uh, that the lascivious, and I know that the people out there waving the rainbow flag are offensive to God. But Hebrews 4 to 6, 6, 4 to 6, not talking about that. It's talking about people like you and me being so offensive to God. That earthly life is cut short, changed, redirected. I don't know what to all say about it. I do know that the Apostle John speaks of a sin that is unto death. And tells us that there comes a point in a believer's life where that if they don't get their act together, that they can pay real dividends in regards to their earthly experience. Although, listen, although, listen, although, once a person is genuinely saved, they are always saved. We're not just saved for time. We are saved for eternity. We know that the repentance or that repentance is an issue in the life of every unsaved person regarding salvation. And we also know that repentance is at issue in the life of every saved person regarding fellowship with God. The particular instructions we're given at the Lord's table is to evaluate ourselves as to walk before the Lord, so as to walk pleasing to the Lord in the life that we're living here on earth. Both saved and unsaved people 
do repent and should repent, and I would say for saved people, they ought to repent often. But here is the case of warning to God's people, to saved Hebrews, of a lost opportunity for which godly sorrow cannot restore. Look ahead to a case, Hebrews chapter 9, I'm sorry, 12, Hebrews 12, 16 to 17 will inform us and remind our minds of something that is like that in the Old Testament way. Hebrews 12, 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, food, sold his birthright. For we know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That verse would indicate that Old Testament Esau did really sorrow over his stupid choice to sell his birthright to Jacob for food. And yet the fact that he repented of it, the fact that he had godly sorrow over it, didn't change the case. Jacob is still the elect, the one who through whom, I should say, God's favor has flowed. Yet Esau lived, but he missed out on the opportunity as the eldest son, and we would say, with hindsight, he missed out on that opportunity in the will of God. Although the will of God was forwarded by Esau's bad choice, for which only Esau can be blamed. Listen, I can act in such a way, pastorally, so as to remove myself from the opportunity to preach. I can. I shouldn't. But I can. And because I don't want to, I talk to God regularly about that. And there are opportunities that God has afforded you in the will of God that you'll miss. If you don't walk with the Lord in the light of his word. And so you can study all kinds of commentaries and come up with all kinds of different things as to the view of this great Bible teacher and that great Bible teacher. And you're certainly not listening to any great Bible teacher here today, but I'm telling you, that the reality is, is that whatever your over umbrella view is of this passage, it is clear, it is clear, it is absolutely clear that those of us that have named the name of Christ unto salvation ought to live a life of honor for the Lord. And so that's what I'm preaching. Because that's what I see in the text. In such a case as is talked about in Hebrews, and in such a case as I can name in other ways. The Lord's death is dishonored and despised rather than being lovingly remembered. Such violations against the gospel of Christ are unfortunately common. 
so I'd like us to take a little bit of time this morning before we celebrate and obey the ordinance of the Lord's table together to think about how people dishonor the death of Christ, how people might enter into an individual response that would associate them with the mockery of Christ when on the cross. We might consider ways in which people bring shame to the Lord and his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Number one, people certainly dishonored the death of Christ by rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. The problem with rejection is no genuine faith exists. Thus the Apostle John, chapter 3, verse 18. Most people know there's a John 3, 16. Many people don't know there is a John 3, 17 and 18. But in John 3, 17 and 18, the text speaks of those who are condemned already. The unsaved man does not lose eternity when he dies his earthly death here in this life. No, he lost eternity the day he was born, actually conceived of Adam in sin, dead in trespasses in sin is the status of everyone thus condemned and to live an earthly life rejecting he who is the way, the truth, and the life is to forever and eternally dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to enter into an individual connectedness with the mockery of Christ on the cross. Those that reject the Savior. Number two, people dishonor the death of Christ by perverting the truth of Jesus Christ. The problem is faith misplaced or faith misdirected. Those that pervert the gospel are most likely themselves apostates or unsaved people. But as the Galatians teach us, truly saved people can come under the spell of false teachers and false doctrine. And that has happened greatly in these United States of America. And that is going to happen in a greater measure in the United States of America because there is no longer a widespread commitment in the pulpits of churches in America to preach and teach the word of the living God. The sermon is directed towards people's good feelings. The music is directed towards people's good feelings. And those good feelings are good, but only for a moment. 
and those that preach the truth and teach the truth of God's word in this day and age have to suffer with little congregations oftentimes and lackluster response in many regards. But, oh, God, help us, though we be but a remnant, to be faithful to the scriptures and the truth of God no matter what. People that come under the umbrella of false teaching, people that come under the umbrella of your best life now, are following unsaved preachers who know not the Christ. And even if the individuals are saved, they lose out on so many wonderful opportunities in the days of their earthly sojourn. Listen to me, God is not the author of confusion, but many saved people are unstable and living on a lesser plane and indeed are dishonoring the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing. People dishonor the death of Christ by halting or stopping within the truth of Christ at some point in time in their earthly sojourn. The problem is faith without faithfulness. The willfully sinful believer mocks the cross and stands on the side of those that crucified the Lord. Jesus said it this way, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Matthew 12, 30. The believer is ordained to bring forth fruit, the fruit of Christ. And that fruit is to remain. God's design is that every believer produces the fruit of Christ. Those that don't not only lose out on eternal reward, but they run the risk of a premature death. I mean, every single month in this church, every single month in this church, we read words that say, and some are sick and weak and sleep among you because of a holy disregard for the gospel truth of Christ in their life. I tell you, when you're a pastor and somebody brings their three-year-old kid and says, is it all right if my kid takes communion? You'd like to slap him one upside the head. Listen, there's nothing magical about the elements of broken bread and cup, it's symbolic, it's an emblem, but wow, what a holy symbol, what a holy emblem it is. 
at the table of the Lord, we think upon the reality of the, blo of the blood of Christ which was shed and the body of Christ which was broken. It's a serious thing. A serious thing that has brought such wonder, such glory, such blessings to my life and to yours. The old chorus we used to sing years and years ago, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all, he's done for me. That's the logic of the communion table. Our text in Hebrews warns of a condition in which it is impossible for repentance to correct. Too little too late runs and ruins the opportunity of God's design for an earthly life of honor to God. And the fire of God's judgment in the coming day will burn away the thorns and the briars produced from insincere service and Christian life misdirected. The false professor and the non-productive believer both dishonor the Lord's death. You and I are not given the option as believers to live a life of promise or not during the days of our earthly sojourn we are commanded to bear fruit and the genius of the Lord's table is that it brings it back to the Lord it brings us back to the Lord's gospel and it brings us back to ourselves as it relates to walking with the Lord in the light of his word my prayer for my extended family and yours is that each life would be clearly in pursuit of holiness as God is holy or haunted. Here's what I pray for you. Lord, let so-and-so be holy or let them be haunted. Haunted or holy? That's the only two possible choices in light of eternity. I think of all the family gatherings this weekend in which people will rally around hot dogs and steaks and burgers and water fun and fireworks and things that go boom. Hopefully not in your house. That's not rallying around Christ. And if you're not careful, you'll live a lifetime enjoying fireworks with people that know nothing of the holiness of God and nothing of the haunt of the Holy Spirit to bring them to the Lord. Oh, we that know the Lord need to be faithful to his word and faithful in prayer. And our prayer ought to be, Lord, make me holy or haunt me. Lord, make them holy or haunt them. That ought to be our prayer. Father, thank you. It's a disturbing text of Scripture to think about and appropriate, and yet so very much a necessity to be heard, to be embraced by the family of Christ in a place after all, as we've recently studied together on Wednesday night, grace teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this 
present world. And so we pray that our remembrances of Christ today would be sweet, and that they would motivate us in holy pursuit and honor to you in all things said and in all things done. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.